that. Sounds good. Ready to go. All right, I'm going to start off just in prayer. I'm going to open up and ask the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, would you come? I humbly ask that you would open the ears and the eyes and the hearts of everyone in this room today. And I pray that this word that you've planted deep within my heart would come out the way that you want it to come out. And I pray that it would fulfill the destiny in each person's life. In Jesus' name, amen. So um, when I'm going to preach, I usually get kind of like a direction or a theme. And I just know that that's what God wants me to speak on. But this time, I had the theme in about 20 different directions it could go. The, 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 the word he gave me was identity. And I just thought, that is huge. How can I sum that up? Because I was, I was hearing it everywhere. And so I started reflecting on my time over the last year. I've been to many home groups and Bible studies and worship nights and ladies groups. And the Lord's just opened up many doors for me to, to, um, to kind of learn from many of his people. And I just thought about those people that just seem to exude Jesus. You know, it's like they just know who they are. They just know their identity in Christ. And yet I still couldn't put my finger on it. So I rang um, my pastor, Kathy, back in Ballarat because I've done a couple of courses with her on identity. And so by the time I'd finished speaking with her, I had two pages of notes. And she's just such a a mother. She just poured out everything that identity meant, meant to her. And then I was like, Kathy, you've given me like 20 more things I could speak on. But then thankfully one night I was just sitting with the Lord and I said, you're going to have to give me something else. And he said the word immovable, immovable. And I looked that word up in the dictionary. So it means not able to be moved, means to be firmly fixed in place, not able to be influenced by feeling, not able to be moved from one's purpose. It means to be steadfast and not subject to changing things happening around us. So we're going to be coming back to that word immovable a lot today. But as soon as I heard that word, I straight away thought of Matthew 7.24. And I just knew, yep, that's what the Lord wants to frame this around today. So Matthew 7.24 is, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and it beat against that house. And yet it did not fall for its foundation had been built on the rock. And I thought, you know what, that's exactly what we're doing with Jesus. We are building a spiritual house for him. Because the the scripture says um, that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And, you know, building this house for the Lord is not easy. It's really hard because it's going to require the removal of old identities. And for many, that's such a painful and exposing process. And yet it's completely and utterly necessary for us to grow. And so that means that we need to know Jesus, we need to know God's character so that we can know who we are. And so we need to know that this house can be immovable when we when we when the rains come, the floods, the floods are coming, that our house remains immovable and it stands. Because the scripture says if you read on, if we're building a house that's built on sand, if we're building straight onto the earth, which represents the world, this is someone who hasn't heeded the words of Jesus. And Jesus says that the torrent will strike, it's coming, and the house that doesn't heed his words will collapse and its destruction is complete. And we don't want that. So today I'm going to be looking at some of the the pitfalls and the snares that can come against our homes because that's the goal of the enemy. He wants to deceive, he wants to distort, he wants to get us off track to move our house from immovable to movable and then hopefully completely destructed. So the first three things I'm going to speak on are how we can prepare for the storm, 
when it comes. And there's going to be lots of housing references in that from my own life. And the last thing will be what we can do in, if we're in the store. Um, so I was thinking of Phil and Faye, you know, you're building a new house, so your house is going to be ace after listening to this, all right? Lots of housing references. So the first snare, the first snare is not reading the design plans. And I'm lucky enough to be married to someone in the building game. So when I started thinking about foundation plans, I went, yep, I know what they are. They're created by architects. They've um, got draftsmen and builders and, and, and those sort of people who will um, indicate dimensions, layouts of the foundation. It's very specific. It has to be really accurate and true. There's lots of detail on them. But one wrong detail on that foundation plan could affect the cost of a build, it could cause headaches for trades later down the track, it can even affect the, the reliability and safety of that home later on, it can be, become dangerous. And I've had many chats with Brett where he just looks at the foundation plan and you'll go, that's wrong, I need to get that fixed. And I'm like, how did you know that? Um, but you know, our foundation plan, of course, is the master builder's plan. We've been given the master builder's plan and said the, the world will want you to read their plan. You can only go into the self-help section of the bookstore and you can see all the different opinions and pathways and ways to God, but we need the Lord's blueprint for our life. And Hebrews says, for he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. And so our God is both the foundation and the creator. And he says, this is how to build your life. Where else can we go, Lord? You have the words of eternal life. And so it really got me thinking about my time that I've spent in the word. And many people will say it's all about quality. But then I remember back as a baby Christian when I was only getting 10 minutes, 5 minutes in the word at the most. And I thought I was doing pretty good. And I realise now, that's just not enough for me. It's imperative um, to overcome the flesh that we're getting that time total time in the word, we're listening to the word throughout the day, we're, we're entering into private worship, we're spending time with the Lord, we're spending time alone with Jesus. And so I really learned early on, don't give your flesh everything at once. Your flesh would love to sit there for five hours and watch your favourite Netflix show. And I learned very quickly, oh, if I give my flesh what it wants, I'm actually denying myself um, an encounter with the Lord because through his word is where he speaks, that's where he speaks. And, and, and it's amazing how you can sit even for two hours and go, Whoa, what am I getting out of this? And then suddenly that last five or ten minutes with the Lord, you capture a scripture and you're like, he just spoke to me. I know he just spoke to me. And I remember a tip from a man that I read early on. Um, he said, read one book of the Bible 20 times through before moving on to another book. And I went, I'm going to give that a go. So I picked First John because it wasn't too long. It was shorter than normal John. And I think I got to 12 times in a row, and I'm like, I need to move on to any other book. My flesh just was like, I, I need to move on. And it's because our flesh doesn't appreciate or see the fruit of it in that moment. But goodness me, First John is one of my favorite books, and I can pinpoint that's from First John. I just know it. It's just so deep in my core now. And it's because this word is so full of treasure. It's like you're, you're, you're digging and you're searching and you're, and you're seeking for deeper layers and deeper meaning. And so the Lord really put on my heart, you know, that, that we need to go a bit deeper. It might be looking into the context. It might be looking um, in a different translation. But we can always add layers of meaning to his word when we go looking and when we go seeking. And as well, you know, we look at what's coming against us 
in these days. We've got agendas, we've got spiritual traps, we've got government policies, identity crisis is rife. And I think we need a great discernment. We need to know who we are. And if I just look even over the last few years of what happened through COVID, as much as it was hard at the time, it was very exposing. It, was, it brought us deep. It caused us to be drawn into him. Because in this word is the, the place where you'll find his word saying, this is the way for you. Walk in it. And when we read so many stories of people like Noah, he did something completely, utterly opposite to what the rest of the world was doing. And so when we have crises come like COVID, are we going to listen to that still small voice? Have we drawn in deep to the word to know what he wants us to do in that time? It might be contrary to what everyone else is doing. And so my first tip is keep reading so that we believe with every fibre of our being that what God says is true and it is who you are. And then we will be more obedient and will be immovable from the mission that he gives us Because he says in his word, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. So that's my first one. Don't fall for the snare of distraction. We've got to keep reading the foundation plan. The second one is the pitfall of bad drainage. Because designing draining and uh, drainage and waterproofing for a home is pretty much, as I was reading, the most essential part of any foundational design. Because if we don't allow for drainage, you're going to end up with a bad smell for everyone around you. And we don't want mould in our walls. We don't want overflowing gutters, thirsting sinks. We don't want cracks in our foundation. And so as I was meditating this, I thought about how in spiritual terms, we're, we're looking at keeping that drainage flowing out of our homes. We're draining false labels. We're draining um, false identities. We're draining the lies of the enemy. And we need them removed from the home. You know, I think about the dirty water that goes through the drain and it goes into the sewer system. It would be ridiculous if I told you I'm coming with my bucket and I'm going into the sewer system to come and reuse that sewage water. We just wouldn't do that. That's gross. So, you know, in the words of Elsa, we've got to let it go. You know, we've got to let it go. We've got to let those lies go. We've got to let those false identities go. But there are labels that are going to be harder to remove, especially if it's something we've believed as a child, if it's a label that got put on us as a child. I know that I struggled feeling um, worthy and this this desire for perfection. And so um, I would strive for that in all the wrong places. And because of that and because of things that I experienced, I had this deeply rooted belief that, uh, that doubted the depth of God's love because of what had happened, because of how I felt about myself. And so we need to overcome those things. And there, there is a way and it's his way. And so I'll just share an encounter that really flipped that for me. It was one of the night, early last year, I went to an encounter night. It was actually a worship night, but that particular, um, the leaders of that group decided that the spirit was leading them to do a prophetic night. And so our num- we got um, labelled with a number and it went into a bowl and everyone picked out a number from the bowl not knowing who they were going to um, prophesy over. And there was no pressure because they said, you know, it could just be you get this number and you write a scripture down that the, the spirit puts on your heart. It could have been a word. It could, it could have been anything. It could have been a picture that, that, that for that particular person. And so just a quick backstory, because you won't understand the word that I got, but I'd got into this routine after dinner with the kids that I would, I would dance with them in the kitchen. 
And I'd go up to Brett and I'd do this elaborate, you know, would you dance with me? And he'd say no every time. You know, we didn't even dance at our wedding, so I guess that explains it. But I got really offended. I was like, dance with me, you know. And anyway, so back to the story, I'd received this word, and it was such a beautiful word that mirrored my feelings for the Lord of me wanting to speak to him. But in this word, he was like, I'm waiting for you to speak to me. I want you to come and talk to me. And right at the end of the word, it said, I will dance with you. I will dance with you. And when I... When I realized what he was saying and that he'd seen me in my kitchen all those nights going, will you dance with me? It just flipped that script that I'd had all those years of not believing that God truly, truly loved me and truly saw me. And, you know, that foundational love will stick with us. And and it is foundational that he desires you for relationship and he longs to hear your voice more than, than, than we desire to hear his And so we need to be draining the swamp. We need to be rejecting actively, constantly those thoughts that tell you you're not enough or you're not doing enough or or you're not loved enough by God. You see, the, 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 the secret really is, is just letting Jesus love you into wholeness, loving you into wholeness. Let him unclog those drains when there's too much buildup. Ask for that fresh living water to come and wash you and refresh you in his love. There is a bit of a part two to this, and the Lord just added it right at the last minute, so I'm kind of going off the cuff here, but in terms of drainage, he just kept saying to the word, tell them about idols. Tell them about idols. And, and when I think of idols, I think it's anything that you place above God, anything that, that, that consumes your time or consumes your thoughts above God. And so I realized, you know, that can be anything. That can even be your marriage. It can be your children. It, it, it can be technology. It can be anything that you, that you choose to do above him and keeps you from obedience to him and drawing close to him. And what I've realized about idols, there was one thing that's probably going to sound really funny to you guys, but for me it was hard to let go of. Um, from 11 years old, I fell in love with Harry Potter. Really loved it. I loved the movies. I loved the books. And so when we moved over here, I've kept those books in my storage room for a long time. And I was opening up this box, and for the first time, I went, oh, I don't think I can put these on my shelf. I just had this niggling feeling. So I left them out the front of my house in a box for, for months. And you see, the reason I love these books is because it was something me and my dad did. We would watch the movie every time the new movie would come out. And so I had this this thing about it. I just loved the books. It, it, it was an escape for me as a child, I guess you could say. And then he said, I want you to let them go. You can't bring them in the house. And I was like, can I give them away? No, you can't give them away. No, it's witchcraft. You need to let it go. And so I had to let it go because we're not going to be... And I wasn't satisfied in that the way that I used to be. I just knew I, I wouldn't read it the same way, that, that, that he it, it trumps that. And when I tried to put it together, I went, God, Harry Potter, God, Harry Potter. No, he gets first place. If he says it has to go, then it has to go. And because it's because a relationship with him is what lasts for eternity. And we need to be keeping that in mind. And you are a beloved child of God. And the word beloved in the Hebrew means to be worthy of love. And did you also know that the word um, beloved means favorite? 
And I thought, gosh, I've been trying to get my mother to tell me I'm a favourite child for many, many years. I'm not there yet, but I'm, it's coming. I know it's coming. But when I read that, I was like, you're right. I'm his favourite child and he will always tell me what's best for me. And if he tells you to let something go, we can let it go. Because that word beloved in the Song of Songs is referencing Jesus. So what he's actually asking you to do is to allow him to be your favourite. He's your favourite in return and you're his favourite. So don't let the drains get clogged with idols or false identities or lies. All right, number three. Number three is the danger of allowing bugs and critters to infiltrate the home because a strong and contained foundation will keep all of those things, those little bugs like termites, from entering your home and wreaking havoc. How do I know this? Because I've just experienced it. The Lord has a funny way of getting a point across. Um, In our back room a few months ago, we have a room that's divided into two with a wall. And we decided we wanted to knock that wall down. And so we start pulling off the plaster, and lo and behold, we find termite mounds. Not just one termite mound, the whole wall is filled with termite mounds. And you could literally crush your hands on that wood and it would shatter. And we were like, that's the worst thing a homeowner wants to find in their wall is a termite mound. So we start ripping all the plaster off the other walls, and we looked in the ceiling, and miraculously, the wall we were pulling down is the only place the termites had been and they were long gone. It was incredible because I, I knew the Lord had directed me to this home to, to, to live in. And so what, what had caused it is there'd been a large gate that had obviously been there before the walls were built. And instead of removing the gate, they left the steel pipe which stretched, went straight through the concrete, straight into the ground. It was like a pathway for these bugs to just flow through. And so, whoa, what was the Lord trying to tell me there? And I have my mum to thank for this one because she was telling me of this revelation she had one day. Of She was able to pinpoint how the enemy had been operating in her life. It was like he was trying to find all these ways to get into her home. It's like he'd try the front door, he'd try the side window, he'd try the back door. And as she clued onto those things, she, might, she was able to block that off. It was like she conquered that fear or she conquered that insecurity. She conquered that mind trick and she blocked the enemy from coming in. But then he'd creep around the back and he'd try and get her another way, maybe through a person or, or just trying to, to pull her down. And so that's kind of what happens with these termites is they're so small and yet they're so relentless trying to find a way into your home. And it can be like that pipeline. He will prod and he'll poke and he'll plant things in your mind to try and worm his way in. And so it can be like a particular sin he tempts us with. It could be repeating those things people have done to us to get us into unforgiveness. It can be getting you to feel lonely. It can be even planting doubt about God's promises. It's like you know the Lord's given you this promise and yet the the enemy just keeps delaying it and delaying it. And then you start to question, did God really say... And, you know, those are small little things. And even at one of the groups I've been to, I had a strong believer. And because she had this sickness for a long time, she actually said, oh, you know what? I think it's just God's will. I think it's just God trying to teach me something with this sickness. 
And I was like, that right there, that can pull the strongest believer down. It is not God's will to put that on you. The enemy comes to steal, kill and destroy, but he has come that they may have life and life abundant. And so, yes, I said something because that's who I am. And I was able to pray for her and I said, no, don't believe that. Like You hold on to his promises. Even if you get to the end, we keep believing in what God said. And when I spoke to Kathy in her decades worth of ministry, the toughest area of identity that she's found to, to, teach, to teach people is their area of authority. And so the toughest thing is to believe that they're co-heirs with Christ, that we're, we're seated in heavenly places with him, that we've been given a sword to yield and to, to, to slay the enemy and to stand on his word. And so spiritually speaking, when I thought about these bugs, I was like, you're right, they, they, they worm their way in, they're super tiny, but they actually just are trying to deceive us of our authority in Christ and our ability to kick those bugs out. They're not allowed in your home. And these bugs can start so small, but if you allow that to keep going and they invite their friends, you've no longer just got a foothold, now we've got a stronghold. And that can pull down even the, the strongest of believers. And so we really need to be believing that he's given us authority. He says it, I've given you power over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means harm you, that I finished it. You're taking off where I left, you know, because the blood has covered. And that made me think of the royal family, you'll like this one, um, of, of William. You know, when he was born, he was immediately an heir of the kingdom. A little baby, like us, babes in Christ, but immediately he's an heir to the kingdom. But William didn't go from baby to king in authority in a day. He, it was a process. And yet I truly believe that what we believe about ourselves and God's word can make that process quicker. I think of Elizabeth. You know, She was handed the throne at 25 years old. God knew she was ready, that she was ready to take on that authority. Yes, she had much to learn, and I'm sure there were ups and downs for her. But when you look at her reign, it's like she knew her authority. She performed her duty. She humbly served the people. She knew that she was there to be head of the church, to be a, a representative of King Jesus. But she also knew that God was sovereign and that he had given her that authority to walk in. Or we can choose to be like Charles, who was 73 when he got the throne. We can, we can take a bit longer. God's still with us. You know, but it took him a bit longer to step into that authority. And so God says, he's our father. We are his sons and his daughters in his kingdom that we have inherited the king's authority to have dominion. He's taken that back, what we had in the garden, for those who obey his commandments and for those who know his will. And so it made me think, you know, the, the enemy doesn't mind us going to church. He doesn't mind us having a cuppa together. He, he doesn't even mind us reading our word. What he has an issue with is if you believe it. He's deathly afraid of you becoming a believer. He's deathly afraid of you walking out who God says you are. Because when we know who we are, and we've, we know we've inherited life and life abundant. That's when we truly start to reign and walk with Jesus. And those little bugs would have you believe that your prayers don't matter, but that's, that's a lie. Your words have incredible power, the power of life and the power of death. So let's not discredit God's word 
to save, to heal and to deliver because maybe of our own personal experiences of what we've seen. We just need to do our bit. We just need to renew our mind to the word. We need to lay our hands on people and believe in the authority of Jesus. That person is going to be delivered, body, soul, mind, whatever that, that affliction is because prayer moves mountains for those who believe. So that was my third tip. He wants you to kick those bugs and critters out of our own homes and also out of the homes of other people. The last danger, the last danger is allowing things outside our home to crack the foundation. And so when we first bought our home, in the front room there was a huge crack, or two huge cracks. And we thought, oh, Brett, Brett in the building going, well, it's not that bad, it's not that bad. But within that time that we'd signed the contract and moved in, there was an earthquake. So when we moved in in April, there wasn't just two huge cracks. There was one in Amelia's room. It was all through that front room. And literally the walls had, one of the walls had come completely apart. And so we worked out that the original owners who'd had it for 30 years or something like that, they didn't have drainage initially down that front side of the home. And so for decades, when the heavy rain would come, it would pull at the front of the home. And of course, when the rain pulls, it, 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 it saturates the soil and it expands and then the dry seasons come and then slowly but surely, this, it was by millimetres at a time that the foundation was starting to, to fall down. And eventually when you have an earthquake, it really showed the damage that was happening underneath the surface. And so these big things that can happen like floods, storms, earthquakes, even tree roots, whatever it is, fires, they can be likened to those big things in life that just seem to catch us off guard and rock our foundation. So things like wayward children, it can be divorce, it can be death, it can be fear of, 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 of man, it can be family and friends turning on us, it can be persecution. We could even be looking outside our homes and we're seeing the affliction of another home and we're seeing the battle they're going through and that can break our hearts and rock our own foundations. But the truth is, Jesus says in Matthew 7.24, the rains will come. The storm will come. I'm letting you know that it, it, it is going to come. But can we say that we remain immovable when the winds are blowing and the rain is pounding on our home? And so those last three things I've spoken of, reading the foundation plan, keeping that drainage flowing and kicking the bugs and critters out of our home, they will serve us very well. But there really are things we need to be doing before the storm hits. You can still do them and definitely still do them in the storm, but we're going to be better prepared for when those future storms come and those dark nights of the soul hit, and they're not easy. And so to finish, I want to review three choices we can make when we're in a storm because we will know we have an immovable identity by the way we weather it. And this isn't... It's, it's not exactly a specific accuracy, but I just thought I'd, I'd place it. There's probably other layers in here. But the first layer can be level one, where we crumble. In a storm, we're like Humpty Dumpty, falls off the wall, can't be put together again. And we see a lot of this happening in the world right now. We see people going through things and they just, they're struggling to recover. But it can happen for Christians too. We can be like the Israelites where we're complaining. It sounds like whining. It sounds like gossip. It sounds like your intense fear and anguish and worry about this thing. Um, it can be 
we can be like a victim in our own life where this storm has come and now we're constantly blaming other people. Well, if they hadn't have done that and she hadn't have said that, then that wouldn't have happened. You know, we can kind of finger point. It can also look like um, these things get stored in our soul, so it can come out like depression. It can come out in anxiety. It can come out as bitterness. It can come out as resentment. It can come out as hard-heartedness towards God. Why did you do this to me? And our house falls. That's, that's, that's the recipe right there for a house being crumbled. So we don't want to do level one. Level two is where I've lived, I think, a lot of my Christian walk, and I think a majority of us do, and it's where the storm will either cause a small crack or it will expose one that was already there. And I like to call this between the rock and the hard place. We're between Jesus the rock and we've got our hard place. And it's that place where we love God and we say we're looking to him with our hearts and we say that we trust him. And we're saying things like, oh, sister, it's been a hard time, but I've got the joy of the Lord. And all the other people are looking at her going, where are you hiding it? <laughs> you know, it's that, it's that kind of place where our heart and our mind are saying two different things. Our mind can be in a tailspin and we're worrying about it during the day, but we're still trying to say, well, I'm placing it in God's hands. I'm putting it in God's hands, but we're not sleeping and we're not eating. And we're talking about it to every Tom, Dick and Harry to try and get perspectives of the situation. And that's not a bad thing. I think the Lord's really taught me that's not a bad thing. He'll carry you through that either way. But what I think he also said to me during some of these storms is he said, I've just allowed this storm to reveal unbelief. And that's not a bad thing. Because I can see that you know what the word says. I can see also that it hasn't quite sunk deep enough into your spirit man and coming through to your mind and your flesh. And so he's saying, you know, I can see that you're desperately trying to believe for the impossible, but your natural man is just speaking louder. Let's flip that script. You know, the Lord really wants to to help us with these moments of being on and off in the flesh. He's still with us. And even in this level, we're still getting victories. You know, I find even that mustard seed, when you just get that mustard seed of faith, he he can operate there. One battle might be won, but another might be lost. But God wants to deal with the consistency. I remember a phone conversation I had with a a very seasoned believer. This was a few years ago. And I was telling about a storm I was in. And I was like, but this person does this and they make me feel like this and I can't believe this happened and where is God and and, and all those kinds of things that we say. And she just very quietly listened to me and right at the end she goes, Alicia, your, your problem isn't the problem. And your problem isn't the person. And your problem isn't God. Your problem is you don't trust God. You actually don't trust God. And I went, what? And I felt like she'd slap me in the face. And I went, I was so offended when I got home. And I was like, no, that's not it. <laughs> it's this person. <laughs> but a few weeks later, I realized she was right. My eyes were so focused on the storm. And she was just saying, lift your eyes higher. He's got the answer. My character had a long way to go. And so my last thing here is, this is the Peter and Paul. Level three is the Peter and Paul kind of immovable identity. It's the kind of identity I think I've now finally locked my eyes on, especially going through storm after storm the last couple of years. And and, and it's that place where even in the midst of a devastating storm that could be raging against our homes, that we finally make the decision, we make the choice that Jesus is enough. Jesus is all that we need. 
He's enough for us. And that doesn't mean we have to like the situation. That doesn't mean we wouldn't try and do it differently if we had our way. That doesn't mean we don't listen to our feelings, but we recognise as believers that our feelings don't always dictate our actions and they shouldn't dictate our actions. That that we should be so firm in our identity and our calling that, that we start declaring the promises of God. Yep, I don't like it, but I'm just going to declare what the Word says. I'm going to let Him love me through this. I'm going to let the wisdom of God help me to keep my integrity through this storm. And this is why I think Paul wrote, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power, this sort of power that can only come from God and not from us, to the point where Paul says we're hard-pressed on every side but not crushed. We're perplexed but not in despair. We're persecuted but not abandoned. We're struck down but not destroyed. Because I carry around in my body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. You know, this is the man who went through three shipwrecks, separate occasions. This is the man who went through 39 lashes a number of times, put in prison, cold, starving, hungry. But he said, I fix my eyes on not what is seen but what is unseen. Because Jesus was enough for him. And, you know, we don't come to those sort of conclusions and that deep level of immovable faith unless a storm is raging against your house and you have a choice to make. Am I going to let this trouble seem, you know, like it's going to go for eternity? Or am I going to be like Paul and say, this is just a momentary trouble. This is just for a moment. And it's achieving for me an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. And so to finish off, that's that level three. That's the immovable identity we should all be striving for in Christ and we need to be striving for because that's what makes us immovable and that's that identity that can't be shaken. So I'm going to finish on um, prayer, prayer and, and, and declare Psalm 40 over all of you. So thank you, Jesus. Thank you for this word. I pray that it's, it's, it's deeply rooted in our hearts, Lord, to strive for, for that immovable faith in you. And you say in Psalm 40 that when we wait patiently for the Lord, that you turn to us and you hear our cry, that you're the one who lifts us out of the slimy pit, that you lift us out of the mud and the mire and you set our feet on a rock and you give us a firm place to stand. So I thank you, Lord, that you put a new song in our mouth. It's a hymn of praise, Lord. It's worship to you and that many will see our faith in this room and they would fear the Lord and put their trust in you. And so, Father, I boldly ask in the name of Jesus that you would fill each person in this room today with an immovable identity, an immovable faith that can't be rocked in life storms. In Jesus' precious name. Amen.